The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. It is an honor to be here. I, as Ryan said, I graduated from the U. I actually went to the Inn when I was in college and. There are stories about that that I'll tell you when we when we see you at the winter retreat. I do hope you come. Um, the um, and um, the uh, this place was a huge impact for me. Denny Ryberg was the guy back then, and it was the, one of the first times I felt like there was a, a space for me to have some very very um, intentional conversations with God. I came into college; my parents had just divorced, and um, I was a angry um, at God for sure. And this place gave me, I didn't know, didn't know for sure if it was okay uh, to be angry with God. And this place gave me a space where I could start to have some of those conversations. So I really do value this place a lot. And when I get to come here and share with you, I have a great deal of respect for you. I know that you are not, um, you're not dumb, that you are smart. Um, I know that you are thinking um, very quickly. I take that very seriously. And um, I hope that you'll pick that up tonight. What I hope will happen is that if you leave here, I don't, I don't, and people, people don't think I'm serious. I really am. I don't care too much if you agree with almost anything I say. That's true. I don't care. But if you do go out of here and you're thinking a little bit, if you're thinking and you're tossing it around and, you're, and, and you guys are starting to have conversations, that I do like. That's where my, where my, my that feeling of iron sharpening iron for me, that, that really does uh, ignite me. So my, my, my prayer is that that happens. Um, let me tell you a little bit about me because you don't really have a context for me um, besides the fact that I, w- w- besides I was here, I did grow up here in Seattle, was born in Colorado, um, and uh, spent a few years down in Southern California, came up here, um, grew up here, and uh, was raised by two therapists, which was... I was looking for a word, and I, let's say, challenging. That was, you know, I don't want to tell you how I feel anymore. That's, you know, that, that kind of a thing. Oh, seriously, tell me how you feel. Um, and um, I say if I could survive that, I can survive anything. Um, and um, and um, it was late for me to get involved in ministry. It really was God getting a hold of me while I was in college in my fifth, my fifth year, my, my second senior year, as they say here. And um, it was a pretty radical switch for me. Um, when I was a kid, I was um, not afraid of some things, and I was afraid of some things. I was not afraid. They put a, um, the, you know, the, the school, the old, well, it's now office buildings. It's like there's a jack-in-the-box down at the, the north end of the Ave. And you know that big old building that's right across the street from that? That was my grade school. I went to that school when it was a school. And um, I, they, at that time, they put a gigantic big um, place set in there uh, made of logs. And which was great. I just thought, this is so great. There's no handrails. There's nothing but these big, big gigantic stacked logs with tires and all that. And they said, this is safe for you. This will be safe. You can play on this. And I said, I am in. And I have my friends. And what we will do is we will have a contest to see who could jump from the tallest of these logs onto these wood chips. We were not afraid. I was not afraid of that. I could jump. And I just remember that feeling of, I'm free. You know, just, wah, you know, this little, because when you're in third grade, there's nothing to break. I mean, just, ah, you know, well, there, there, there is something to break because finally Greg Penby broke his arm. And then we're like, oh, there is something to break. And we stopped. 
I was scared of sharks, though. I was scared of sharks because Jaws came out. I wasn't allowed to see it, um, but I, I heard the music, and that was enough for me. So, <laughs> And that kind of generalized, and I became afraid of whales. I was afraid of fall. Here's my thing. I was afraid I'd fall into the water, and you can't see. You can't see down there, and that's what's... You don't know what's down there. It could be a shark. It could be a whale. And maybe that gigantic whale would not know you're there and accidentally roll over, and you'd be trapped under blubber, and it would just... Be over for you. I was afraid of the Easter Bunny. That's true. Because I know what bunnies look like. And they said, we're going to go see the Easter Bunny at the mall. They're little fluffy things about that big, the size of a loaf of bread. And I came there and around the corner and there's this eight foot thing (laughs) holding a basket. You know, like this. I was afraid of Santa Claus, and here's the reason why. That's not, this is, you're going to start thinking, man, he's afraid of everything. So, but listen, this was my dream. I had this dream. I had this dream when I was a kid that our, our, our chimney got clogged. And so I, in my dream, I come downstairs, and I realize our chimney is clogged, and there in the front window is Santa with his face plastered against our window going, let me in, let me in. I, I've got to deliver. Let me in. Still want to stay here? Do you want to come to winter retreat? <laughs> I remember, you know, it's the truth is, you know, you get older and everything, your views on things have got to change. They've got to shift. They've got to grow up. That's for sure. Still kind of afraid of the Easter Bunny. But you got to shift. I remember my parents when they would speak to me when I was a little kid. And you guys know what it's like. You know when your parents, you're listening to what your parents can say. And you, we think everything they're saying is coming from some kind of playbook. They've got to know exactly what's there. They just said it. They just said, you're good at this. I assumed that was right. Thank you. Lord. Someone gets mad at you and you think, ah, oh, that is all. It's just, it's, you know, it's not God. You know it, but it's so close. It's hard to, it's hard to kind of make that separation. It's so close. And you know what the nice thing about getting older and at the age I am now, it's like I go, I remember I'm older now than when my mom said that really dumb thing she said. Like I, you, your parents start to come back down and now they can kind of be humans. I'm not intimidated by my parents anymore. That's a good my dad can say something, and I can say something back, and my dad will go, huh, interesting. And I can see he's just a guy trying his best. This is the first time he's ever been as old as he is right now. He's a novice just like I am. That's a good thing to know. I remember when I was a little kid, I went to church, and I sat in the first, they called all the kids up, and they said, all of you kids, and I didn't really, you know, like doing this, and they would say, sit down, and we're going to have a children's sermon. And I remember sitting here and thinking this, and the guy up there, and I'm sitting just like we all are now, and the guy said, you know, the great thing about God is that God is everywhere. Well, I went to bed that night, and I looked at my chest of drawers, and I thought, oh, crap. What if God's in my chest of drawers? And I remember coming down just crying. I'm like, I think God is in my chest of drawers. You have to come and look. Our view of God, it can be 
something that we get when we were a little kid. And, and hopefully if you were, you know, you were a good fortunate person, you got, you got a good positive image. But I want to tell you something in our text tonight. What Jesus is facing with these people is a cultural view of how God works, acts, breathes that chokes the life out of them. But you got to understand, and this is where my, some of my background, systems theory says you want to contend with a system, and a system is, we're a system. When groups of people get together, roles, rules, patterns, we start to get together, and it starts to get very, you know who's the smart one, who's the funny one, who's the pretty one. Who's the popular one? Who's the one on the end? Who's the one on the out? This society that he was moving in had very strict rules and roles, expectations, and views of how God worked. It's kind of a quid pro quo. If you do good, you get good. If you don't do good, you don't get good. So we want to be good. We want to be good. Good, good, good all the time. And this idea that God in some ways could not be trusted Some of you know what it's like to be raised in a home where everybody's happy until you make one person, maybe it's dad, maybe it's mom, maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your sister. They have that kind of trigger. And all of a sudden, boom, they explode. And everybody's walking all the time. Like there's these tripwires trying not to expose or trip over these things that might make so-and-so blow up. That's the way this culture worked. If I can just walk carefully with my loving God who at any moment could take his hand away from me and crush me, we'll be great. Jesus is coming into a system and he's one guy and he's going to go up against this age-old, generation-deep view that God may be powerful, but God also is dangerous. Some of us have that. Some of us still have that. You'll feel like things have been going on so well and they're so great. And there's that feeling like something's going to happen. God's going to do that thing where he kind of like kicks the stool out from you so that you can learn how to teach people humility. I'm so glad that happened. I knew when I got that flat tire, bam, the view that God is doing something that we can't quite trust him. He comes into this system. And we've been talking, you guys have been talking about this idea of, of, of how he's starting to teach. If you want to come to this God, in some ways, you, me, we have to be able to get back in touch with what it's like to be a little kid. Which is crazy if I think God isn't trustworthy. I'm not going to do that. Let me read this passage for you. If you've got your Bible, you can go look at it. It'll, maybe they'll put it up here. I'm going to read from the New Living Trans- Translation. I'm assuming you probably have the idea. I'm going to read it for you. He says, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, these children. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. What he's saying is, he says, This system that you have, where you look towards the important people and brush away the people that aren't as important. I want you to stop doing that because that's not how God sees. God sees these people that are on the outs. Some of you know what it's like to feel that way, to feel on the fringes, to feel like if you stopped calling your friends, they'd never call you again. That if you stop making the effort, 
that, would, the, that the relationship would stop. You know what it's like to come here and put on the face and feel that sense of even in a crowd feeling like you're on the fringes. Jesus is saying, in the kingdom, everything is different. God doesn't look so close to the center as he does to the outside, to the outside walls. It's the way the temple was set up. It was a set of concentric squares all the way into the middle where it was said the holy of holy, the very presence of God would, would dwell and the people that were the most high up would get to go in there. The next high up, the next ring, the next high up, the next ring, the next high up, the next ring. And by the time you were on the outside, it was almost, these were the people that you could walk by and dismiss. And Jesus was saying, you guys... These are the people that you have to see, including that of these kids. Then he says this. He goes on. And some, some translations lump 10 through, 14 to, uh, 10 through 14 together. Some of them separate it. But he goes on. So it's interesting if you put these two together to see what it means. He says, if a man has 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he find it, finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's wish or will that even one of these little ones should perish. Let me read that again for you. If a man is a hundred sheep, and you can see what he's doing here. What he's saying is, I'm going to start using common sense with you. I'm going to start teaching you something, but you're going to know what I'm referencing. You will know the world of the shepherd. This analogy would have been something that they're going to get. This is going to be common sense. This is the thing he's going to start butting up against over and over again, this idea of common sense. Which of you guys don't know that if a shepherd goes out and has 99, what they would often do is they would take that 99, and because it's a herd, there's some safety in that, or there would be other shepherds nearby, they could leave the 99 with another shepherd, and they're going to go out. One sheep is costly. They're not going to just let a sheep wander away. That's their family's survival. He's saying, listen, of course he's going to go after that. Your view of God is he lets them go. See, what I'm telling you right now is there's no way that God lets him go. He says, if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. So listen, he's talking, this is one of those passages where one, he's going to confront the system and say, your view of God has got to change. It's got to grow up. It's got to alter but where you come from is going to inform how you view, and that's going to be very hard for you. The second part of what he's talking about is the lost. There's a lot of different kinds of people who, there's a lot of people that get lost for different ways. I get lost just by driving. I get out there, and I can be, and my joke with my dad is we have to stop talking by Moses Lake or we're going to end up in Idaho. I mean, I can get lost, no, no question. But there's all kinds of people. You have friends, you have friends, you have people who, who ADD lost. They're the people that are talking to you and they're so excited about whatever they're doing and they're just talking like this and they're wandering along and then it's all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's this, this butterfly and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, God, sorry, your hand. And he goes all of a sudden like that and he steps on people's hands. And they're walking around like this and all of a sudden, they find themselves and they're, they're halfway through a major that they're not really sure that they really wanted to do in the first place and they can't really remember how they got there. 
And half the stuff is unfinished back in their room. And they have this sense of just being cluttered in their head. And they're not really sure where they're going. And people ask that question. So what are you going to do after college? And they're like, a million things. And maybe nothing. I don't know. you got people that are driven lost. You have these people that they're so locked. You know these people? They've got a goal. And it's sort of like, if you're in line with that goal and you're in line with that vision, awesome. People in ministry can do this, by the way. Don't fool yourself. You get a great idea for Jesus. Boom. And you just start walking. Excuse me, I'm coming through. And you, you come, they start walking through. And it doesn't really matter. Come on, let's move. And they start walking through here. And they start being, and if you're on their side, that's awesome. If you're not, you might get totally knocked over. You know those kind of people. And those kind of people, it'll last oftentimes till you're about mm, 40. And you wake up and you think, who have I become? Am I a good person? Am I not a good person? A feeling of, man, I was so following the vision. And I lost sight of the kingdom on the way. You've got people. (laughs) You've got people. And you know this. Who are doing everything and committed to nothing. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm busy. Busy. Busy doing this. Busy doing that. Busy doing that. How are you doing? Hey, good to see you. Talking to this person, but they're secretly looking over your shoulder and checking out. Maybe, sure, I'm hoping that my spouse is in here somewhere, and I'm going to keep looking. Blah. I didn't know we had a meeting. Did we have a meeting? Sorry, I didn't write it down. I had 17 meetings. I just wanted to know which meeting was the most entertaining. Those people that are Doing everything all the time. How are you doing? Busy? Tired? Tired? Busy. You, you, you almost know what they're going to say when they say it. And there's that feeling of one day waking up and them going, I don't even know why I do any of this. Sometimes those people get married and they stay doing that. And then they have kids doing that. And then they raise their kids to be doing that. That feeling inside is... Hard And sometimes those, that feeling of loss turns into a feeling of addiction. You feel alone. And there's that itch. And this is the thing, I don't know how to describe this to you. But hopefully you know it. Because I get there. By the way, I get there often. Is that feeling of somewhere... I might have been doing the right things. But I got unhinged. Somewhere along the line of the heartbeat of Jesus. Somewhere along the line, if I was to look around. and Now listen, I get the theology of omnipresence, that God is everywhere, blah, blah, blah. I get that. But you understand what I mean. That sense of, if I look around right now, and I asked you, what would Jesus say right now in your life? What do you think? How connected to that would you feel? Or would it feel like you wandered off into the woods? Because that is somehow times how I feel. Doing the work that I do. I put three extra people on my schedule and I shouldn't have. Got six extra things that I'm doing. That's the one I'm most prone towards, by the way, is the being driven and driving past the exit. That's, that's just me. So I work on that. Jesus is saying three things to us, and I'm going to give us this, and then we'll catch more at the retreat. And he does this a lot. 
this, and it's where his frustration, you'll see him get frustrated. He's saying, imagine that you, and I'll give you this, imagine down the line you have a little boy or a little girl. Fair? You're in the marriage that you wanted, and you have good kids. Now imagine I ask you, what would you do if your kid was hungry? And you say, feed it. If I say, your little girl, what's your name? Albie. Albie, your little girl is in danger. What do you do? You got it. That simple. Nice job. What's your name? Yeah. What? McKaylee, your little boy, he's in trouble. What do you do? Yeah. That fast. What if it's going to cost you your life? Yeah, you got it. That fast. It's easy until we turn it back around on ourselves. And then we start to play games. Well, maybe God is doing this. Maybe God is doing that. Maybe God is not going to treat these people this way. And Jesus is saying, use common sense. If you would do it for your boy, if you would do it for your girl, that God will do and more. God will beat you at that game. At that, at loving kids, God will win. If you will do X, God will do X plus infinity. Count on it. That's God. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Thumbs up if you're with me. Tracking with me? Good. Your math is wrong. And they're going to keep coming back and they're going to go, no, uh-uh, it's not because, uh-uh, uh-uh, because it says here and blah, 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 blah. He's going to go, use your brain. God is nicer than you think you are. One, two. He's using an analogy that I love. Sheep get lost all the time. (laughs) You know, they do. Sorry. There's kind of a sweetness to me about this. The point, point number two, what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you're human, it's common to get lost. You're off in a major and you ask yourself after tonight and you go, I don't know why I'm doing that. It's because dad wanted, did dad want me to do it? I don't know who wanted me to do this. Was it because it was the shortest line? I don't know. Mine was psychology. It was just because there's no homework. <laughs> truth. That's the truth. Do you know something? If you don't give rats water, it takes them longer to go through a maze. That's what I learned at the University of Washington. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. (laughs) Point number two is, you know what? It is common for us to get lost. I'll probably get lost two or three times a day. Um, for most of my life. All of a sudden, the sense of, I'm going too fast. And when I go too fast, I get a little bit irritable. When I go too good, I get a little bit irritable. I get a little bit judgmental. When I get a little bit judgmental, I can cut people down. I can. I can be mean. I can get a vision in my mind. And by the time I'm done, everybody else is worn out around me. I can do that. Here's his last point. And it's interesting, in the Luke passage that parallels this, there's this idea of the shepherd going out, picking the sheep up. 
on his shoulders. Walk him back. Now, I thought for a long time, how do we identify what does it mean to be found? And I will say that this, I'll give you two, and then this is where I'd like you guys to take the discussion past this, okay? Email me. Tell me. You'll give me a better answer. The first one is, the best I can describe the feeling of found in this side of heaven is it's like this little spiritual inner click. Excuse me. You didn't want to sit right there. There's this guy, Tony Campolo, and they would literally bring plastic things to put over themselves in the first. You're, no, you're never going to sit there again. So, so here's the idea. It's this sense that the, the only way I can describe it is this sense that with all of the stuff, all of the grades and all of the money issues and all of the relationship issues and all this stuff, suddenly this feeling of a, this like click that says, you are in God's hands right now. Not because you earned it. Because sheep get lost every day. But because you're loved. Everything you have, everything, every way you've ever proved yourself. Doesn't matter. And I don't know how to describe that. Maybe it's on a walk. Maybe you're sitting and being quiet. But it'll feel a little bit like someone took a backpack off you. A little bit like a dawning. Second way, and this is my dream, is that I hope after I die, I get to see a map of my life with Jesus. And I get to see the path that I walked and all the little spurs I took off the roads and him go, gotcha, had you, met you, carried you, joined you, paid for you. You get it. That's the luxury that Paul says we don't get to see fully right now, but then we'll see clearly. That's what I hope I get to see. Lost, that's common. You feel it? God is nicer than you think. Three, it is good to be found. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the struggle it must have been for you to face a crowd of people and try to teach them something new. Thank you for doing that, for leaving us your word that we can count on and rely on that is solid. That we all um, see each other in two weeks. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, all God's people said... Amen. Thank you, guys.